peculiar time of the year when it's to know where you are and why you have been kidnapped. Well, the bridge of Sai. The guys who works here went psycho. Welcome to October by May. The short stories of Edward T. May. Presented by James Allen May. Short Stuff I guess it was just bad luck we happened to see Cody that night. Brian and Greg and me got tired of trick-or-treating and decided to go to the railroad tunnel. Cody was just leaving the foster place as we walked past. We asked him if he wanted to go to the railroad tunnel with us. He asked us why, and then we remembered he was new in town, so he didn't know anything about Short Stuff. I told Cody about how there used to be a guy in town named Short Stuff. Some people said he always had that nickname because he was so short. Other people said he only got the nickname after the accident in the tunnel. And some people weren't even sure if he was real or if he was just made up. Anyway, this is how the story goes. Short Stuff was a bum, and he liked to drink. He made a little camp for himself inside the railroad tunnel. One way he made his money was by begging pennies from people. Then he would take the pennies back to his camp and put them on the railroad track. After a train came along and flattened out the pennies, he would come back into town and try to sell them to people. One day, Short Stuff found a bottle of whiskey that had fallen out of someone's pocket. He got really drunk and went back to the tunnel to lay some pennies on the tracks. He passed out and fell on the tracks. Some people say he fell over head first, and other people say it was his feet that ended up on the tracks. Whichever way it was, he lost a part of his body when the next train came through. So now, on Halloween, Short Stuff waits inside the tunnel for someone, so he can take their head, or legs, whichever. Now, Short Stuff didn't die on Halloween, but that's when he's supposed to wait for people. I guess it happened that way because Halloween is supposed to be the scariest night of the year, and you naturally expect scary stuff to happen then. You see what I mean? It just wouldn't make as much sense for Short Stuff to wait for people on July 18th or February 3rd, even if that's when he did happen to die. Anyway, if someone really did happen to come across Short Stuff, they were supposed to grab him and hold on tight and not let go, because if they let go of him, that's when he would take their head, or legs, whichever. They had to keep holding on to short stuff until just after midnight when Halloween was over. Only after midnight was it safe to let go. We explained all this to Cody and told him we were going to walk from one end of the tunnel to the other and back again without flashlights. He said he'd come along with us. He stopped by his house and left his bag of candy there. And then we all walked down Main Street and out of town toward the tunnel. It took us about 15 minutes to get there. We stood outside the entrance and waited until the passenger train that always left Davenport at 7.15 went past. It was scary enough to be inside the tunnel, but it was even scarier to be in there when a train went through. As we waited, we told Cody about the stuff written on the wall at the entrance to the tunnel. Just some goofy poetry written by kids. We couldn't see it then, it was too dark. But I'd been there in the daylight, and I knew what was written. One of them went like this. Short stuff's dead. That's what we were taught, but on Halloween night, he'll prove he's not. Another one made fun of short stuff because he drank too much. I can't remember the exact words, but it went something like this. 
Avoiding railroad tracks when drunk is the test of life short stuff did flunk. Oh, there was another one at the other end of the tunnel too. Did he lose his head or legs? We're not sure how he died, but he's waiting for you now in the darkness inside. In the daytime, all of us would laugh at these words. They were stupid. But in the dark, on Halloween, we didn't laugh. After the 715 from Davenport came out of the tunnel and disappeared down the line, we started inside. Brian and Greg went down one side of the tracks, and me and Cody went down the other side. I was in front of Cody, with my right hand on the wall of the tunnel and my left hand out in front of me, feeling for, you know, surprises. Because it doesn't matter how much you don't believe in something before you go in. Once you get inside and can't see anything, that's when you start to believe in everything. I heard my dad one time say the tunnel is about 320 feet long. That didn't mean anything to me. So my dad told me it was about like going from one end of the high school football field to the other end. I could understand that. But in the dark, it seemed like it was a whole lot longer than that. We walked real slow because we weren't sure exactly what was in there. I'd gone through the tunnel before with a flashlight and knew there was stuff we could trip over. Stuff like old mattresses and broken bottles and cardboard boxes. We talked to each other as we walked because it kind of made us less scared. If Greg and Brian started going slower than Cody and me, then we'd slow down until they caught up with us. It seemed like forever, but we finally came out the other end of the tunnel. Starting back the other way wasn't as scary because we figured if short stuff was really in the tunnel, he would have gotten us the first time through. Brian and Greg switched sides with Cody and me. I wish now we'd gone in like before, with one person in front of the other, just like Brian and Greg had done, because then there wouldn't have been any problem. But this time, Cody wanted to walk side by side. There was enough room between the tunnel wall and the railroad track for three people to walk side by side. Having enough room wasn't the problem. The problem was, well, you'll know in a minute. I found a short stick lying on the ground, and we each grabbed one end of it. We went back inside. My right hand felt along the tunnel wall, and my left hand was on the stick. Cody's right hand was on the stick, and I don't know what he did with his left hand. On their side, Brian and Greg walked in single file, just like they had when they were walking the other way on the other side. We were about halfway through when I heard Cody cuss as he tripped and fell and his hand pulled away from the stick. I asked if he was okay. He said a few more swear words, and then he stopped cussing, and for about a second there was total silence. And that's when he started screaming. I never heard anything like that scream. I knew right away it was no joke. He wasn't fooling around with us. Nobody can scream like that unless they're seriously scared. And when I heard him, I was scared too. Even worse... I didn't know what to do. Brian and Greg were asking me what was wrong. I could tell they were scared too. I told them Cody had fallen down and maybe hurt himself on some broken glass or something. I asked Cody what the problem was, but he didn't answer me. All he could do was scream. I was about to reach down and help him up when he yelled out the word, short stuff, and then started screaming again. I jerked my hand away. I was really scared then. All I could think to do was to tell Cody not to let go. I told him I would get our parents and some flashlights and come back. 
Maybe I would have stayed if I'd known Brian and Greg were already gone. Maybe. But I didn't know they were gone. When I made it out of the tunnel, there was nobody else around, so I thought Brian and Greg were still inside with Cody. But they thought I was going to stay inside with Cody and got out of the tunnel before me. What can you expect from 10-year-old kids? I ran all the way home and told my dad what had happened. We grabbed some flashlights and a first aid kit and started back to the tunnel. On the way there, we met Brian and Greg and their dads. From the time I left the tunnel until we came back again was probably about 20 minutes because we were really running hard. As we came up to the entrance, we could hear Cody still screaming. The dads never stopped, but ran inside as fast as they could. There he is, I heard one of the dads say. When I caught up with the adults, I was kind of afraid to look. I didn't want to see short stuff, because I was scared he might forget about Cody and come after me. But I finally did look, and I saw Cody. His mouth was open wide, and he was still screaming. Actually, he was only trying to scream because his voice was real hoarse. He had his eyes closed real tight, but I could see tears leaking out of them. I've never felt so sorry for anyone in my life. All I could do was wonder about what thoughts had been going through his mind for the last 20 minutes. He'd been all alone, in the dark, feeling something wet, warm, and sticky coming out of a body. Afraid to touch the body, but even more afraid to let go, waiting for someone to come back and help him, all the time screaming and screaming and screaming. For all I know, he's still screaming up at Rose Hill. That's where Cody is now, Rose Hill. It's a place for people who aren't quite right in the head. I'll never forget what I saw that night, in the light of the flashlights. The sight of poor Cody as my dad tried to pry his fingers off the body, and Cody just gripping it tighter and tighter, even trying to bite my dad's hands to keep him away. Cody wasn't about to let go, not until Halloween was over. He was squeezing just as tight as he could, holding on for dear life, to the body of that deer. It was killed by the 715 from Davenport. The Vigil The man sits in the chair by the door. His restless eyes swivel between the candy dish balanced on his knees and the darkened street. Not many kids out tonight, he says softly. Certainly not because of the weather. It's a beautiful evening for trick-or-treat. Warmest Halloween we've had for some time. Robbie didn't even bother to wear a coat. Just threw that old sheet over his head and took off down the street. The chiming of the clock distracts him momentarily. Robbie sure loves this time of year, the man notes. He's a good boy, too. I can always depend on him. He's very responsible for his age. Out at six for trick-or-treat and in by nine, just like clockwork. He looks at the candy dish, then through the glass of the door, at a porch lit by a solitary jack-o'-lantern. Just loves Halloween, 
The man slurs as his eyelids flutter. His head dips over the back of the chair, and he begins snoring loudly. The harsh morning light shining through the door awakens the man. He shields his eyes until they adjust. He rises, walks into the kitchen, and dumps the contents of the candy dish into the trash. Don't need that around, he says in disgust. Just cavities and calories. He places the empty candy dish on the chair he recently vacated. He opens his front door and steps out onto his porch. He looks down at the grinning jack-o'-lantern. Survived the night, did you? The man asks. I guess the pranksters had bigger and better pumpkins to smash. He walks down to the sidewalk, retrieves the morning paper, and returns to his kitchen. He makes himself a breakfast of oatmeal, toast, and tea. He eats a leisurely meal while reading the newspaper. When he is finished with breakfast, he places his dishes in the sink. He decides exercise is what he needs, and takes a stroll through the neighborhood. Upon returning to his house, he climbs into his car and drives to the grocery store where he purchases a few items. He completes his morning with some yard work and then returns to his kitchen. The man prepares a sandwich for lunch. After lunch, he walks down to the sidewalk and removes the mail from its enclosure. As he returns to his house, he notices the mail consists only of advertisements and bills. Once inside, he tosses the mail onto the coffee table. He lies down on the couch and begins reading a novel. He falls asleep, and the afternoon passes. The man wakes as evening approaches. He warms a bowl of soup and consumes it hastily. The shadows, feeding on the dead skin of memories, grow fat and bold. They crawl down from the walls and corners and other daytime haunts as the man takes the bag he brought back from the grocery store and empties it into the candy dish. He opens the front door and steps out onto his porch. He bends over and lights the candle in the withered, rancid jack-o'-lantern. Ready for tonight? He asks the grinning face. Of course you are. You're always ready. He shuffles back inside his house and lifts the candy dish with arthritic hands. He eases his stooped shoulders and bowed back into the chair by the door. He glances out the door at the darkening street. Not many kids out tonight, he says softly. I guess Robbie won't have much competition. <laughs> He'll come back home with a fat bag tonight for sure. He should be back any time now. The man stares at the clock face. His cataracts turn its shiny metal finish misty and milky. No, not for a while yet. It's only seven. He'll be back just before nine. He's a good boy. Dependable. Out at six, back at nine. He's always back by nine. Always? The man pauses, seems confused. Except for that one time. Tears begin pooling in his eyes. 
that one time he went out and never... He swallows hard and shakes his head. After all, it's only seven. He'll be back. Tears roll down his cheeks and drop in the dish, spattering candy destined to be thrown away come morning. He'll be back. Once again, I'm James Allen May, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of October by May. October by May is a bi-weekly podcast, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single sojourn into October. Please leave us a rating and review, as well as any comments or replies that you may have for us. Also visit us at OctoberByMay.com for more info, as well as links to the books by Edward T. May. Short Stuff by Edward T. May The Vigil by Edward T. May Recitation and Audio Design by James Allen May Theme by Hassan Nazari Rabadi